Hello, HLTV.org forum trolls. I know that you all have a fantastic place on this earth and now are in Twitch chat with us as we do this whole thing live. But we got some guests with us this evening who are a little bit out of the norm. I'm hosting this thing. I'll probably do a lot of talking too, so get used to that. We got Striker, as expected, but we have Yanko, the coach of uh, FaZe, with us. And we have Sergey LMBT, a former coach of Mouse. It's very touch subject. That kind of just all happened and we might get stuck in that one. But good evening, gentlemen. How's everybody? Yo. Doing great, Chad. I was just looking for a conversation with yourself after having a full day of practice, so I'm feeling <laughs> lovely. This is a great way for you to decompress, you know, to really, uh, really let some some anger and steam out. Because some of these topics we might hit, you might uh, you might enjoy. But we do have the yeah, breaking news. Yeah, that's a news. masturbator topic. Yes, that's one that's, of my favorites. That's definitely my thing. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's where Striker really does his best work. But we do have the breaking news to kick things <laughs> off. Do we have our sound cue, Lucas? Drop it. I thought we were going, I thought we discussed this, Lucas. I thought we were going with more of a somber tune this evening because we do actually have uh, have Sergey here. But the breaking news for everybody playing at home, I know a lot of moving parts. The breaking news is Mouse Sports, here we go, are down to three. So if you missed it, Stiko, Chris J, and LMBT himself have been, uh, it appears to be benched. Is that the right uh, terminology to be using here? I think you should you should close it now because we can't hear anything right now. Yeah, it's like a vacuum <laughs> there in go. the background, but we made it. Okay, so Sergey, I'm I'm sure there's only certain things that you can say on this whole topic. So we're gonna I'll I'll let you have the floor first to kind of state whatever you need to state about this before we get stuck into this. But this is obviously the breaking news of the day. Yeah, I mean, look, like it's nothing special. We was together. We were together for quite a while, over a year, I'd say, and. Um, Unfortunately, we had some um, issues with uh, this Yannick and bringing Stiko back, right? At some point of our journey. Then it ended up how everyone saw, right? But um, that's like one of the reasons, I would say. But the main reason is basically that we are tired from each other, I guess. And everyone... With the time coming up, everyone was just not satisfied uh, how we work and how we're approaching the work and stuff like that. So I think that um, some people might be happy about it, some not, but uh, that's how sometimes things happen. So it's nothing special for me, to be honest. Okay, so for you, it's like kind of uh, more like a mutual situation to be going on, just the direction of the team and where all things ended up. I remember speaking to you uh, at the it was a star ladder before the player break last year, and mm-hmm. we were, you and I speak a lot of these events, and you were talking about how like the map pool, like you didn't have time to practice, you're going to a lot of events, all that kind of stuff, and then the whole snack situation went down. I don't know how much you want to comment on on this part of it, but that whole thing, did you like was that a was that a mess just waiting to happen, like the whole getting snacks to the roster? Do you think that you guys should have just stayed when you had Stiko and the team in the first place? I mean, we never know how situation would go if sure. we would kept Stiko, right? But uh, <clears throat> I don't think uh, the main reason is we didn't have time to practice and stuff. It's not because of tournaments for me. I think the reason is just that the lineup, basically, time of this lineup just come to an end. In any sports or esports or whatever, some players getting changed, right? Sooner or later, same as great coaches or bad coaches or good and bad players it doesn't matter how good or bad are you it's just like time wise some teams could stick together for four years like vp right well for us it was one and a half years so okay 
it just time has come for me. Oh, that's a pretty good run. Um, I don't know, Striker. You, I think you had a question, didn't you, that you wanted to lay on this topic at least? Well, I think it's just uh, Lucas actually brought it up in the chat when we were talking about the topic of the show, and he was he kind of mentioned that every time something went wrong with Mossports, like when you guys went out pretty early, we saw some talk about like this team not really being. I don't want to say friendly, I guess, but I'm sure you were. But I guess there wasn't that camaraderie as 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 there is in other teams. So is that something that you would agree with? Do you think there was just not the chemistry? Yeah, I would, to be honest. I mean, we was not even denying that that uh, we don't need to be like best friends. That we are more of uh, co-workers, right? Co-workers. Yeah. And um, that we have a goals. We have. Uh, goal set and we will just work for it and that was a good part to be honest because we are like from six different countries obviously right and with six different mentalities and um, all of us agreed at some point that uh, we shouldn't like over overreact and be like best friends to reach some results and that was helping us at some point because uh, we never had any fights inside the team and stuff like that you know like at all Almost never during this one and a half years, we had some serious like fights inside the team. We were just fixing things like, yeah, okay, that didn't work. We'll work it out next time. And that's it. We was looking on everything like on a job, basically, you know. But it was more of a professional thing rather than like you guys actually not liking each other or anything like that, just to make things clear. Yeah, obviously. Oh, I, I think that like would have worked, worked out pretty well, things considered. And I think, you know, the fact you're saying that all rosters come to an end. I think that also has has a pretty good point. Um, I with with what's been left of that roster right now, just for those playing at home, it is Rops, Sunny, and Oscar. That's the the core trio left in that team. Uh, maybe we'll just start the discussion from this point going forward. We we can kick it off with Yanko, I guess. That that core being left, I think you know they've obviously lost an in-game leader. They need to find somebody to fill that role. But who do you think, Yanko, if you had to start hazarding guesses and throwing uh, bits of bits and pieces around, where do you think they might be looking for for replacements? I think the big name is Kerrigan, you know, because he's like been benched by by FaZe and everyone's looking for an in-game leader, especially Mouse Sports. I mean, Chris J wasn't a natural in-game leader. He had to pick up that role when, uh, you know, Nico left the team. So it was, it's almost two years now that he's been doing it. But uh, I think that's something that they're definitely going to be looking for, uh, at least one of the players to be the in-game leader. And then the second one, um, I think it depends because for that team, I think they're aware it's not just about getting like a super skilled player, you know, and just like who's going to frag out of his mind. Uh, I, I think they realize that they need to maybe uh, think it through a bit more so that they have uh, this time around, they can build some of that chemistry that you guys have mentioned. Because to me, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I even said this on, on, on stream when we were working, Chad, and stuff. Like, I could never, like, I couldn't imagine being on that team or, like, potentially, you know, being a coach of that team because there's no personality on that team. Everyone just feels, looks so dejected. I don't know if I've ever seen one of Mouseports players smile when they've been playing. Like, maybe Chris J, you know, after he gets a ace against Liquid, like, or something like that, that probably puts a smile on everyone's face, but, you know, they're just, I don't know, that's when we were talking about Mouseports, you remember, like, early last year, oh, could Mouseports maybe become the best team in the world, you know, after the, the, the first couple of tournaments in the year, and then it was like, well, I don't really see them ever being 
a number one team. I just doesn't doesn't seem that they have the the attitude for it. You know, they don't have the heart for it. So hopefully, like now, they can uh, select players and forge their roster in a way where they do have some of that, and maybe those new additions are going to light the fire in some of these players who have been around for a while, especially the likes of Oscar, you know, who are, they are all great players, like no doubt about that, very skilled players, but it's not just about skill for you to be, you know, to become the best in the world, at least it's how I see it. Yeah, that was a problem that we highlighted and one that like we we really struggled to see any, I guess, somebody lift the morale on that team I, I think like uh, with, with players who have been doing pretty good recently I don't know the contract situation with everybody I think that's going to be more of a problem however much Carrigan's going to cost to get off of uh, phase to go to Mouse Sports that is that's a big issue right that's not a, a cheap buyout I don't know if Mouse Sports has uh, has the money to be rolling around with a play like that but if they want to improve the team that seems like the most obvious one right now maybe the Danish scene is in the same thought process so if a North comes knocking or someone like that it might be a bit difficult but like I think like Valde would be a, a pretty sound addition to this team as well I think if the people in chat were, were bringing that up as a player and I just think the way that he is able to be such a fantastic role player right he's uh, he can do anything watching him recently he's just been absolutely lighting it up so you add him into that mix of, of firepower you've got some uh so, so pretty solid players in there already. That's getting to be a scary thought. But I was starting to lean down the path, and, and it's probably a good thing we have uh, the both of you here, coaches who have coached teams who you, none of you are speaking your native languages in, in uh, you know, with, with six different members in the squad. Do you guys feel that that is a huge detriment to being the best Counter-Strike team in the world? We're going off on a bit of a tangent here. We can stay closer to these mouse sports movements if you want, but this question is one that has been bugging me recently. With how good Astralis look, it seems to me that like even for like a phase or MIBR when you were there, Yanko, it's it's hard to to bridge that gap of communication purely because it's it, there is going to be all always that little bit of delay with with what's being spoken. Do you guys think that this is a massive issue? Yeah, I think it depends. For example, like now in phase, you know, except for Adren who's struggling a little bit because it's his first time and everything, the rest of the guys are so used to communicating in English. Uh, that it doesn't seem like that they have any major issues in that sense. Uh, if anything, I, don't, I think they need more names for positions because everything's a corner or a wall or whatever. But I, when it comes to like giving out info, I, I, I think it's fine. I don't know if it maybe hinders them a little bit when people need to organize things mid-round, you know, and say which nades they have or who's going to throw what. Sometimes that that takes a bit longer than it should. So I'm not sure if that's necessarily because of a language barrier or it's just, you know, that's just a lot to think about at the same time while you're playing, you know. So it could be either of those things. I do know that in MIBR, the problem wasn't, you know, the basic communication or anything like that. It was just that some of the players felt like they could do so much more. They could give, like, better information. They could, like, um, move their teammates a bit better, you know, telling them where to stand or what to expect. But it was too much to do that and also to focus on your own game. So that's where the communication issues really happen on a, on a second level. But to answer your actual question, do I think a team like that can be the best in the world? Yes, I, I think so, because those situations do not happen like all the time or super often and even when they do they're not always going to cost you a round right if you stay composed it doesn't have to be detrimental to the round and what you're doing so sure it's going to be an obstacle here and there but that's the price you pay for you to have talent 
that otherwise you would never be able to put into the same lineup. Sure. Do you think the same, Sergey, or do you think? Yeah, like... I kind of agree. Like, I don't think we had uh, communication issues regarding infos or whatever. People get used to it, and we was communicating in English pretty long time, I would say. But um, only difference between these teams, between like us, Phase, Astralis, for example, whatever, is uh, mentality, basically, because. Um, for example, Astralis have um, kind of same aged players, plus minus, except Magisk, right? And they're from same country, so they have uh, th more things to talk about outside of game, you know, and stuff like that. So it's only like <clears throat> team mentality is different for me, and that's what we lack, and that's what I guess guys who stayed want to build. They want to build like a team, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, I don't think that English language is a barrier here at okay. all. If if you guys had the choice, now this seems like a ridiculous one. I can't speak a different language, so it's a bit difficult for me to say. But if you guys had the choice, would you prefer to coach a team speaking your native language or coach a team like of, of just multi-talented like you've got right now? I guess it's kind of different considering regions. Because you've probably only got the, the Valiance team if that was an option. But for Sergey, there'd be a lot of options for you to coach within uh, within your own region with, with Russian and Ukrainian, right? Well, if you want to compete on top level, there is not too much teams which you can sure. coach in CIS, right? So, first of all, you have ambitions, and for me, it doesn't matter which language to talk, to be honest. Yeah, for me, I mean, obviously, in theory, it would always be better to just coach a team in your own language, or for me, it would be also fine to coach a team whose language, like English, is their native language, right? But, I mean, not an ideal scenario, I guess. If aliens can pay me enough, I I would maybe do it. I don't know. <laughs> if even they are speaking English now, so yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Like, a, couple of, a couple of big kinda, changes. You know, I'm gonna bring Nico there. I'm gonna be a player myself, not a coach. Just be the in-game leader. Come back in 2020, Chad. Now we're talking. Just, you can be my coach. Oh. Okay, I've learned Serbian as quickly as I possibly can. <laughs> but uh, what we'll do is we'll move on from this mouse sports topic and we're going to move towards uh, the whole North thing, keep it on the coaching side of things. And we're going to get uh, Striker back involved here because I've been yeah. having some very hard direct questions here. But Striker, you want to give everybody the uh, the rundown on what happened with this whole Ave situation? Well, what has been said officially is that Ave basically stepped down himself because of like family things, that he has a third um, child coming um, or something along those lines, right? And he basically decided that he wants to spend more time with family. How much this was actually um, the organization's decision, we're not, not entirely sure. I'm guessing it was just a combination of things, uh, as it usually is. But um, from, look, from North's perspective, I mean, the, the obvious reason for this move is just because they, they screwed up at the, at, the, at the minor, basically similarly as, as North, uh, as most sports, I'm sorry. Uh, except they actually had another chance and they they blew that one too, um, so that's that's definitely the core of it. But I'm just wondering about how much it was like from his point of view, how much it was from the organizations. We did speak about this a lot on the on last week, especially with the Danish thing, and and we were alluding. Oh, we've spoken about this topic quite a lot in recent times, and uh, yeah. about the the coach, you know, usually being the one to to fall when things aren't working in traditional sports. But that's when the coach is given, you know, the full dominion on the way things work. We've definitely noted uh, with Counter Strike that, that isn't the case as much at the moment. So I think you but know, it was with with North. Yeah, though. with North, like North was, and Astros yeah. were were two of the very few teams that actually did it this way, that the coach actually had. Um, a lot of power over the team, basically like almost, almost complete power. 
Yeah, and I think that's probably the the reason why we're seeing this happen. The big question mark now, though, obviously with North, they've got this tournament coming up. Uh, it starts tomorrow, I believe. Uh, the one in London. It's got the four teams there: Navi's there, Avangar, uh, North, and I'm forgetting a name. Heroic. Those are the four teams that are going to be there, I believe, if I if I checked it correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that just leaves okay. Where are they going to go with the direction of this? Right. We know there's a lot of good Danish players. Obviously, Carrigan's been thrown around as a potential name, but. Uh, yeah, that means he's coming in to swap out a player. Uh, if if that was to happen in the, in that way, I think that the the problem with this change is that what's what what are we really going to see see different? Because this team has already been pushing out the correct attitude, right? Like it, they've been they've been posing themselves as the professional team that they're meant to be. It just feels like there's been too much pressure put on them by themselves, and that's why they haven't been getting the results. I don't know, obviously, uh, how much the two of you want about this but but Sergei and Yanko in practice and stuff the north did north feel like a force you know did they feel like a team to to be fearing when you come into these kind of events or did it just feel like you don't put too much stock in practice or whatever answer you can give me is is fine yeah i don't really think for any team you can say based off of practice right because it's in practice it's very hard you know sometimes teams are trying to just try out new stuff with some teams like tier one teams don't really practice that much between themselves, like the top five teams, because you see when you do try and practice, the other team isn't really doing much. It seems like they're just trying to scout you and see what you're going to do to take some notes. So you try to avoid that really um, at, at the very top. For me, North was a team that I always, you know, was fine practicing against. I thought they played well. I think if anything... You know, something that hindered them as well. They were making so many changes. They were changing, like, players all the time. Like, yeah, of course, they didn't have, you know, success. So you could argue that changes were necessary. But you need to give some roster, you know, a certain amount of time to really see if things can work out or not. Maybe you, the first time you have five players, you didn't set the roles properly or you didn't uh, play in a proper style that suits those players. I mean, they win DreamHack Stockholm, which... Sure, you can say it was a fluke, but you still need to win that tournament somehow. Bomb out at the major, and then because of that, they decide to change their in-game leader. Like changing an in-game leader is a the biggest change you can make in a team, right? And then you had uh, I don't know config and like Cajun leaving like earlier in in very early in 2018. Then the Nico comes in. Then they had Mers, and they had like Mixwell played with them at the tournament. You know, it was just all over the place. So. I, I think for them, it really is a combination of things. That's why it's so difficult to give an answer, you know, what's the solution for North? When it comes to the coach having a lot of power, uh, I think in that sense, if he indeed did have, you know, power to change players and to organize the game and everything, and he did have, you know, a lot of time to see those things through, if it really isn't like uh, giving results then it makes sense for him to also be let go. But in reality, you, you, it's very hard to know unless someone from the org or from the team speaks out, how much, how much was the coach allowed to do? How much influence did, did he have? How much did the players listen to him? And that's only when you can for sure say, because I know, because I've been in both positions right now. I've been an analyst looking from the outside and saying, oh, this coach looks like he's doing a lot. And then, you know, for some coaches, you don't really think like they're doing that much. And then you move on to the other side and you realize how difficult it can be at times. And also you hear from other teams, you know, who's actually doing something, who's not. And it's not as black and white as maybe sometimes we we think we see it, you know. 
But I mean, going going back to the in-game leader, I mean, changing the in-game leader, like MSL has been like some of the one of the most stable ones when it comes to like changing teams. Obviously, it has been a part of the same team for I don't know what it is now, maybe four years, five years even. That he's been in and Dignitas and blah blah blah, and just has has basically survived until Stockholm, right? Or until after the major. Um, anyway, so I mean, you could also make the case that MSL, for all throughout all those years, he hasn't even even uh, can't speak. He hasn't been able to um, take that team to the next level, right? They've always stayed around that, like, on the brink of, like, top 10, maybe a little bit higher at times, but yeah. never really breaking into the true relate. I, so. I, I, I agree. And, you know, you could argue that earlier on he didn't have the benefit of having the best players on his from his country play for his team. His players were always getting poached. But definitely in North, that wasn't the case. I mean, you even had, obviously, KRB leaving Astralis to join North, but... That's why I say it's a complicated situation. I agree with what you said about MSL, that he was on the same level for a lot of time and his teams were. But then what happened with AZ, for example, you know, like in yeah. his time in Dignitas and then early on in phase, it was like, oh, AZ is like insane, you know, like he's a super skill. He was playing amazingly well. Now he's considered a support player, you know, like how, how does that really happen? Uh, KRB as well, like definitely not consistently playing on a super high level like he was at times, even in Astralis. Um, if anything, obviously, Valde is now probably, I mean, for sure, their star player and the, their most consistent player. And for what we've played against them, or I have played against them uh, a little bit here and there, uh, Gade is also someone who seems to have like, you know, good impact for a team, a guy who just seems like super sound mechanically and just, you know, can frag really well. So, you know, you have those two guys. Now, obviously, KDN is relatively recently added. So that then you question, okay, so could we change some of these guys who we brought in as stars, but it just isn't working out? Is the in-game leader, like Seth, coach? Right now, they've changed the coach. So that that's one of the changes they decided to go with. And we'll see what's going to happen moving forward. Is after the major, going, are they going to have any additional roster changes? But it, it really does seem like it's a lot of things that have impacted North not living up to the hype or to the potential that they most definitely have. I think, I mean, I think this this particular change was announced at this point just because of the family issue with, with Abe. Obviously, like you say, after the majors, when we'll probably learn about Moss Sports as well, like who knows um, what kind of options they have at this point, right? They could go for the Kerrigan plus Valde combo because those are the, the, the players that are not going to be at the major. So they could just genuinely actually go for that change specifically, but obviously there aren't that many many other options until the major ends and and like all the swaps happen, right? So I feel like this change is just the first of a few. I don't think the the coaching change is the single single one that's going to happen. I feel like North will just happen to somebody, um, some of the the other Danish teams as well. Um, maybe make a swap with Optic, who obviously also failed. So I feel like this is just the first of many changes in the sub sub or like non-Australis Danish scene that we talked about um, in the last episode. Sure. Sergey, you got any thoughts on the North situation? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I mean, when they changed MSL, you told that um, coach basically get the full power of a team, right? Maybe when MSL was in a team that wasn't possible because he was affecting team way more than Novadays in-game leader, right? Sure. And maybe only after that, coach get this all these things. But on the other hand, as you told guys, it's a combination of things. You know, I have one kid and it's pretty hard. If you have two, it's even harder. If you have three, well, 
You basically fucked. I'm pretty GG. sure you fucked at the point. <laughs> yeah, so basically, I'm pretty sure he just can't like do a full time job at the same time. So yeah, but I'm expecting definitely the Danish shuffle sooner or later because all. I mean, teams... it has to come. It has to come after North and Optic both failed at the minor. There's yeah, no way there sure. are no changes between them. Even heroic, like I was casting a tournament all these five days. I watched heroic, and it's not the team right now. Even you know. Yeah, they just added uh, blame F, right? I mean, they they, they added blame F. I feel like that's that could lead somewhere, but at the same time, like he might as well just like go over to North if he actually shows up in London yep. or whatever. Like he could he could definitely get a chance further because I'm not yeah. entirely sure North could tap into anybody else from Heroic, and with Optic, I don't know what the like interpersonal issues are because they've obviously a lot of them have obviously played played with each other for a long time. So God knows how much they they want to come back to that or anything like that. We we never know how these. Kind of inter interpersonal relationships come into play. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I think uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've definitely done the Danish discussion to death yeah. with all these different changes that happen. So we're going to move on to the next section, which is the Master Better part of our uh, podcast. Now, for Yanko and Sergey, sorry, this uh, this is basically not going to involve you at all. This is Strike going to be talking about a little head-to-head -head competition that he has going on with Prof, and they're putting in bets over the last, uh, all the weeks until three, the end of the week, major. Yeah. yeah. So basically what's going to happen here is uh, they're going to do, whoever loses, whoever loses uh, this, so the, the idea is to make the most money. Whoever loses this is going to do, did we decide on the chili challenge? You guys are going to eat some extremely hot chilies, yeah. I believe. Okay. Yeah. And, that, and we decided because they're both from Eastern Europe that they don't like spicy food. So that look, makes sense. I, look, so I, just saw, I just saw, just to comment on the Eastern Europe thing, I just saw... Uh, a picture out of a American textbook about geography, and it lists Czech Republic as a Western country. Ah, okay. Well, look, we might need. To I can that use changed. that now. Huh? It, well, then you're gonna like spicy food, so I'm have to change the challenge. Exactly. All right, where are we at? Is this is this up to date or is this from? Yeah, last yeah week? this is up to date. This is okay. up to date. This is episode five. You can see that at the bottom. So, so at this point, we're um maybe like a little bit over 200, 226 behind, because Prof made a lot of money in the second one. Or in the first, actually. And now he lost the second one, and now we're in the third week, um, in our third try. Basically, just uh, as a disclaimer to people out there, basically follow me if you want to just about lose some money, because I've just been losing like bits bits and pieces, like 13 bucks the first week, and like 5 bucks the second week. So just like follow me if you want to lose a little bit of money, basically. But this time, actually, Prof doesn't really have anything to defend himself, because he's obviously not here. So I guess we could... Um, well, it's a great favor. You know, I'm going to step in for him. <laughs> there we go. Necessary. <laughs> I mean, we have. Wait, what is it? Red Reserve against Windigo. What? What is that tournament even? Oh, we That's don't the even thing. know. Like, we obviously don't know about from. each other's bets because we would like just so that it's not affected. I don't even know there was a Unicorns of Love Counter Strike team. <laughs> I like that. I like the picture of Prob just like peeking out of the. Uh, peeking out of the slip. It's pretty cool. Oh, they're German. Okay, that explains a lot. Yeah, but I'm right. okay. So he he went for Wendigo to to beat Red Reserve, Unicorns of Love to beat Blue Jays. What is this Counter Strike? I don't even know what kind of tournament. Hold this up, is. Navi's there. That's a good one. Navi's the 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 Ice Challenge. I have that too. Actually, he has the winner of the tournament. I think. Yeah, that has yeah. to be it. So he has Navi. That's the that's the one that we're going to talk about later about the 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 Ice Challenge shows. So he has the winner of that tournament. I mean, Navi is the winner of that tournament. So that's that's the one I understand. The other two, those are just basically somewhat random. But I mean, Windigo to bet on Windigo against the Red Reserve is, is pretty reasonable, and even the odds seem to say so. 
I mean, it's fairly reasonable, I feel like. Well, we don't really care about his because we he can't justify him. So, Lucas, let's bring up strikers if we can. Yeah. I mean, go. I had the I had the same thing with with Navi. I'm actually surprised he could combo this. Honestly, I'm not sure if he can combo this because like you have a winner of the tournament and a, like matchup winners. I'm not sure he can do it, but I guess I guess he can from like uh, between tournaments. But anyway, I had the same thing, but I had the singles because I couldn't do multiple bets within the same tournament with the winner of the tournament. You can't do that. Like, there's some limit against it. So I basically went maxed out for the Navi to win ice ice challenge just because I feel like they should not should have no competition there. Like, yes. So of even they... though Navi starts slow every single time they start a tournament, you still reckon yes. they're two zero. All right. Yes. All right. I have a I, I have a feeling that like this this break is actually going to do some well some good to them uh, instead of what they they usually actually do. But I mean, it could be the same case as as we always always have. But I just feel like I could, I could make some buck on this, um, especially with with those kind of odds. One sixty six on a two uh, for a favorite of a of a match is pretty good. I feel like, well, that's what I went for. Navi to win the tournament. They just have no competition. Yes, they could start slow because they haven't played anything in two months almost. I can understand that, but I still feel like they're pretty heavy favorites. And to close out, I actually went for North to win against Avangar. Because they have much higher odds, like Avangar had something like 1.6, so they're heavily, like, pretty heavily favored in in that matchup. But I actually went for North just because I, like, at this point I feel like, sure they failed against Vici, but that was that was kind of like a, I don't think that that was the 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 true North, even though they haven't actually played very well for a, for a longer period of time. But still, Avangar should be a matchup that they should be winning uh, on a normal day. So that's why I went for North, especially with those odds. All right, well, that all seems pretty reasonable. Uh, I think we'll just move on to the next one because we don't have the banter to between you and Prof yeah. here, unfortunately. Yeah, he so, can't uh, defend himself. So yeah, just... it's a bit unfair. We won't beat him out while he's down. We're going to move into more drama, and we're going to move across to the smoothier situation with Big. Now, this is another thing that we just recently discussed on the last episode, yep. and that's when DK reported the news. And uh, I think we treaded pretty lightly in the way that we spoke about all this because we, we it wasn't confirmed at the time, and uh, we, were, we were just you know basically stating the obvious. So for those of you who missed it, Next, he went uh, out for an injury. They had Zantares come in to be his replacement in the interim. Then there was discussion about doing some six-man roster nonsense, which everybody, we had a whole discussion about, but basically that's ridiculous. Nobody bought it, basically. Yeah. Uh, then they, there was a bit of rumors about what they were going to do. It sounded like uh, Next was going to replace Gobby, and then Gobby would be the coach. And then the next thing happened, Smoo came out, and he stepped down. Now... Before we get stuck into this, I, I want to make sure that we, we kind of preface this because I think this is a really big part of the situation. It'd be very easy if you are a guy who doesn't speak the language to feel ostracized from a team from the very beginning. I understand that. Um, those words have been discussed uh, from Smuya publicly. And he, but I think the thing here is we don't know how this situation, if he was pressured into this. We don't know if the writing was on the wall. Uh, we don't know those bits and pieces with this situation unfolding. But what we do know is Throughout Smuya's time on Big, he was very sporadic and very uh, cryptic and, and maybe too emotional in his tweets and stuff, which to me speaks about his personality because we do know what type of guy that he can be, very loud, very fiery. LMBT and his boys had a bit of a run-in with them at a star ladder when some nonsense was going on there. Um, but all in all, this kid, unfortunately, I think you know maybe he's been a little bit of his own undoing. Um, 
you look at you look at the personnel change of this. We have next com uh, next coming back in, so he's taking over the position of an orper. He's mainly a rifler, which now puts Tabson into more of a orb heavy position. Not necessarily how Counter Strike has to be played right now, but the the main point of this. Let's start. Let's let's break this down. First of all, let's get a let's get a discussion across the board. Do people think this team is going to be better without Smuya, uh with the addition of, of Nex? First and foremost. Uh, I think it's hard to tell. I, I think they probably will because it doesn't matter if you know you you would argue that Smooth is a better player or if he would fully opt that that would be better for the team. If you cannot like build that chemistry, and I'm not saying everyone be best friends, but if one guy really doesn't fit the team, it turns into that atmosphere that I'm sure you know, Chad, from when you've been playing. Is like you just you don't really like this guy, so you're just waiting for him to make a mistake so you can harp on it and so you can, like, bother him about it. And, like, whenever he says something to you, even what he's saying to you, like, is constructive criticism. You don't want to accept it as such because you don't like the guy and, you know, he doesn't fit or whatnot. So I think in that sense, probably in the short term, at the very least, it's going to make big better because you're going to have that honeymoon phase of, oh, yeah, we finally made this change. You know, now we can finally do things the way we want them to be done, and and so on. So I I think like that will probably be the main reason for for them performing maybe a little bit better, at least in the short run. I mean, I'm I'm just worried about his form. Not not really because he has been out for a cup for what a couple of weeks hasn't really been that long compared to like most of the teams. He's basically been out the same the same kind of time. Um, but now that like he actually played a couple of matches with the team at the We Play Lock and Load thing, and he didn't look good there at all. I saw one of the matches that they played against Hellraisers, and he was very, very bad in that match. So I'm just a little worried about his form and how the, the wrist issue could still be affecting him. I mean, Big said that they that it was basically fixed, that they, he just needs to attend like a regular therapy or, or something like that. But it still it, it still sounds like something that could affect you. Uh, at least in the short term, so that's the what I'm. That's the thing I'm worried about, and that's why I would say that in the in the short term, I feel like they will be worse just because of next potentially not being up to his best. Do you guys know the info? Did they really submitted six players to the major? Yeah, yeah, they had. They, had they, next, they were prepared for this. Okay. They were clearly. They clearly knew about wow. this potentially happening like later in January, basically that Smo was going to leave because they put next as the coach. And so they okay. have Smoya in the, in the active roster. So Smoya's probably going to get stickers, even though he's not going to play the major, basically. Yeah, calculated. Um, like what, basically, what we assume is that Big are just going to swap. Like, before the first match, they're just going to put in the swap between uh, Smoya and Nex. So feels bad for Nex that he's not going to have stickers, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I think also what's funny to me is, like, just reading the interview that, you know, Smoya gave and talking about the issues that they have and, you know, saying stuff like uh, wasn't happy on top of having the feeling that they wanted me gone for some time because I let some of the teammates down on a personal level by being on my phone during practice and stupid reasons like that. Like the amount of dumb stuff like that that I hear like about players on teams and stuff, it's like how hard is it when you're boot camping or practicing to not check Instagram, not chat with other people, 
for your focus only to be on your job, which is playing a video game. It's not right. working in a coal mine. It's not using your brain for something <laughs> super strenuous. It's doing something you would be doing the whole day anyway, just on a more serious level where you can't like just decide when you want to play and how you want to play. You actually have to play to win and to improve. But we're going to start arguing about, oh, but why can't I just text? I'm dead anyway. So... I had teammates who would use the Steam overlay to log into those like Facebook, Twitter, all that shit. So they didn't even have to alt tab when they were dead and they could just sit in that shit. And they had the audacity to sit next to me and do that fucking nonsense. I think this was actually where I was going to take the, the conversation next is talking about the personalities in the teams. And we've already kind of touched on it, but you've alluded to it quite a lot in this in this regard, Yanko. And the fact that having somebody in the team who just sticks out like a sore thumb for whatever personal reason, this is very contrasting because what you were saying, Sergey, was was the way that mouse sports was structured structured, it was a job, right? And obviously certain people got along with each other better than others. That's kind of just the way the world works. But do do you do you foresee and and we can we can kind of bring this conversation full circle, but the fact that we have teams who are made up of all these different nations and culturally speaking, et cetera, it, it's a difficult thing to do. And just people even from the same countries. Do you think that this is a, an issue with the fact that we do just in Counter-Strike have five players on a roster? We saw recently with E-United having Cooper coming in, right? And that inspired every other player to try as hard as they could so they didn't lose their paycheck, right? Because nobody wants to be booted off the team and lose that income that's coming in. Do you think that like... All in all, if we ha did have like a sixth or seventh member on the roster ready to come in and step in when somebody fucked up, we could remove all of these personality issues and people like this, uh, or, or like I've alluded to, like Yanko's been talking about, they wouldn't exist anymore and people might take their jobs more seriously because it all seems too, too easy for some of these kids. I mean, look, for me, like how I see it, because I was thinking about this topic, honestly, first, we need the rule change, right? Because right now you can only do the six people for major, so it should be seven. In any case, second part, yep. you, you will never find young player whose ego will not have ego to sit on a bench and jump in when he's ready, right? So that's a good option for like old player, old skilled player who can just stream, who know everything, you know, every smoke, you know, every detail of the game, you know, all the info of the team. So if you're benching some old player in the team who can just stick in the team, still have salary, still have still can play and then you have situation for example like in cis team someone didn't receive visa someone became sick someone done whatever and you can play with your old player not with a coach you can basically fulfill most of the roles anyway except maybe op unless he is upper it's anyway better for a team than to play with a coach right of course so yeah. i think that's a really good option for like older players but i don't see any single chance that you can have like multiple, not multiple, but six, seven players roster with young players, there is no chance. They want to play. I think this is exactly what we landed on when we spoke about this last time. Yeah, yeah. We spoke yeah, about this exactly. in a bit of detail. And yeah, names like nothing were thrown around. Pimp was an example of somebody who streams and you know he could maybe fulfill both of those those types of roles. I think that's like... Ge just generally, we also kind of landed on the same thing of the sixth player being both a substitute and a coach just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
that completely kind of ruins the, uh, I guess, the integrity of, of certain situations, especially when it happens at majors. So let's pray yeah. that none of those problems crop up this time around and we can avoid all that because so far we've been we've been looking good. But I, I think the question mark, you know, for me around this big situation, sure, you know, they've been able to, to uh, bring necks in and maybe they're going to be happier with the personalities and the team going here. But if you look at the way this is going to affect somebody like Tabson, who has always been a very fiery personality, right? I remember seeing him when he was playing, when it was Godby, Legia and, and uh, Tabson playing in the NRG days. He was always very loud, very fired up. It was that... Uh, Bella, uh, it was that Brazilian event we were at, Yanko, I forget. Probably the finals. That's the one. And that was the first time I would, like saw him playing on land. And, he was, and, and for good reason, because he's a fantastic player. But in my experience, those type of players, and we all know the type of player who I'm talking about, is that's the type of player who he obviously does his best when he gets to do his own thing. Now, he's been working in within Godby's system, but Godby's played with him for years, so knows how to get the most out of him. When you have somebody like that who picks up the AWP in a secondary position, they're the type of guy who likes to pick it up in the secondary position. And then they have these they have these dreams. You know, they're sitting there one day playing deathmatch or they play an FBL game, and then they have like a sick game with the AWP and they think to themselves, fuck, I can be a primary AWPer. That's the problem I have is that Tabson's probably going to try this for a certain period of time. And if his performance dips even a little bit, I see that having a really adverse effect on the rest of the team, right? The, the problem there being, oh, I don't want to be the primary opera anymore. We're going to change positions, change roles. And he's the type of guy who will get his way in that regard. So for me, if he can't stick to the guns of being the primary opera, or if they try and use him like a primary opera and don't do more what Liquid's doing or was doing where they had you know Nitro using it as a utility, less as a, a spearhead of the attack, then they might run into some some issues. That's probably the only the only issue I see here because right now they've removed the quantity of the team that was the X factor in terms of personality. So they, they everything should simmer down a little bit in that regard. Um, Zantara's he seems like he has a fantastic work ethic and, and just him as a fragger, he's going to be contributing more in, in, in that sense. So it is It is what you might mention, Striker. The short term is, are they going to be able to get next back up to where he needs to be in a short period of time? And to be fair, they have two whole weeks to get that done. So does anyone else have any big stuff they want to interject here on before we... Uh... I mean, just generally, I feel like on the Tapson topic and him opping, to be fair, he's been picking it up a lot for a secondary opper. Like, they play the double op very, very often on the CT side, like almost, almost the majority of the time. Even just like now, I just randomly checked how many like how many op kills he has, and that's thirty percent of his kills. Like his obviously his most his weapon is AK with thirty eight or something, and that's twenty eighteen land by the way. They're trying to just, say he's been getting ready for this for a while now. I'm not I'm not saying he's he's, he's getting, <laughs> been getting ready, but he's definitely um he's definitely up there when it comes to like secondary oppers. Like thirty percent for a secondary opera is a lot of of op kills. I feel like he's been picking it up even from like a, the eye test felt like he picked it up on the CT side almost all the time on maps that it, where it made sense. I feel like it's not going to be that big of an issue. It just depends on how they deal with it on the T side. If he's going to be, if he's still going to be picking it up a lot, or if like like Sponge said, they're going to go the maybe closer to a liquid route and just play more of a, a, a five rifle setup. Yeah, I, I think just on the note of talking about teams having multiple players on the rosters, like six, seven-man rosters, I don't think that's viable until the circuit changes. You know, you have a closed circuit or something like that, because how is a team like FaZe or MIBR or Astralis or Navi, how are they going to find a player that's good enough to sub in for them, but not good enough to be a starting player on you know, a Hellraisers or uh, a yeah. North, an Optic or whatever, you know, like it's very difficult to 
tell to that player, hey, it's better off for you to be on the bench for our team than to be the starting player for the other team. So I don't think that's really viable, but I, I think what's necessary is for teams coming, uh, players coming into a team and coming into an organization to realize that they're coming in a working environment. And, and from the moment they join the team, that, that was the problem for before, right? Teams were almost exclusively five players together coming into an org and they're sticking together and the org should, you know, get on their knees and fucking thank them for joining the, that particular team and, you know, whatever you want, we're going to give to you. Just thank you that you're playing for us, right? I don't think the situation is the same anymore. You know, there's a lot of individual players being swapped in and out and so forth. And I think uh, players need to be more accountable and, and need to be more responsible and more aware of, you know, what is it exactly that they have? What is the position in which they're in where, you know, nothing is going to, nothing fell from the sky for them. You know, they invested a lot of time and everything into what they do, but that now comes with some responsibility when the salaries are higher and the conditions at the tournaments are better and the prize money is high, right? Like when you can make a living off of this, that comes with some responsibility in, in many different ways. And one of it is that realizing, you know, how you need to approach in practice. There's a great quote um, from, I don't even remember which football player, but it was, you know, how do you get so hyped up for practice? Why are you so emotional in practice you know why do you take it 110 percent he says this is what i get paid for like anyone can get out on a sunday in front of 50,000 people and give it his best but how are you going to do it on a monday on a tuesday when you're sore when everything's hurting it's like that's where you earn your money so i think it should this is a way it's similar for players in cs you get paid to practice like do you go to a tournament how can you not get excited you go, of course you're going to give your best you play in cologne in front of 10,000 screaming fans in a massive arena, right? But how are you gonna, what are you going to do on that stage is what you set up in practice and, and what you work on. And I think that's why Astralis is the number one team in the world. I don't think, I, I think that's the main reason is their approach and their understanding of what needs to be done and how they're going to do it. And to be honest, like, I don't know how much this is the general knowledge, but becoming a coach, I've seen Astralis doesn't, they, they are, probably the tier one team that practices the least you know and it's because they realize they need to have this balance in in players lives where especially when you're the number one team in the world and you're winning everything how do you keep staying motivated of course you want to win more but you know it's hard everyone's looking at you everyone's uh, anti-stratting you you know stealing your stuff and so on and you know that way of keeping things fresh and just making small changes and having the players be disciplined enough to not lose focus and still know what they're doing individually that's what allows them to have that approach other teams don't have that luxury they have to play six maps a day because they have to go over so much stuff you know they need to iron out their map pool they need to work on some of the fundamentals you know they have catch up on so many things so for me it's, it's kind of that this was a bit of a rant but you know no, no, but i mean i've, I've let you're it definitely out. right though <laughs> but it, just, it just has to come with like a, a change of a landscape as a whole just because obviously organizations at this point like you said don't have enough power to um to kind of force these players into being more professional and just hold them accountable if they whatever if they keep being on their phone that's just to use whatever somebody said just, just in to, that interview say one one thing it's not that for people watching this, it's not that players don't play enough, at least most of the players that I've been around. Like people play a lot. It's just that sometimes when they're playing, it's not as productive. Whether they're 
playing some dumb stuff like FPL, or, or at least even if they're playing it, they're not learning anything from it. Or it is in practice that you're not focused enough, right? And you're playing for six hours, you're there, you're practicing with the team, but it's not as productive as it could be. So just just with that then, we can maybe grab that. In, in, and I won't pry too hard here if, if it's too much information, then that's cool. But from the both of you and your coaching methods, what are you guys looking at as the more ideal ways to get the most out of your practice, right? I remember talking to you, Sergey, at one event and you said we practice uh, something like five maps a day because the most you could play is a best of five, right? Is that is that still where your head's at? Or like in terms of efficiency of practice, what's your, what's your view on that? No, it depends on what state team currently are. Like, sure. For example, you, make, you made replacements, right? And as Yanko told... You can be in search of your game, in search of your map pool, or you can just, um, as Astral is doing, just creating one, two new things, right? And just keep the shape and stuff. So it just depends, like, what you're preparing for and which um, position you are right now. Are you preparing to play online league for a month or, like, before at least, right? Or you have, like, tournament to tournament and then you're playing... Depends on what can be there. For example, before minor, I was trying to force team to play six maps because at one day you can play six maps, no break, sure. right? So even like physically wise, you have to be ready for that. In any case, you have to keep focus for this five, six, seven hours sometime because like best of five for us, for example, we played two best of five finals. It's seven hours, both of them. And you have to be focused for all seven hours, right? You have to be ready for it. It depends. Sometimes you can play three, four maps per day and focus only on being productive, right? Sometimes you need hours. Sometimes you need this uh, seven hours focus. So it depends on what you need before a tournament. Sure. So, Yanka, you just went from one team to the next team and, like, obviously starting... You're not starting ground up, right? When you Obviously, Adren was still the, the new addition as well and you have a lot to teach, but it looks like from what you guys... The only thing that it looks like it's changing for you is the direction of map pool. At least that was one of the takeaways I had from, from the E-League event was that you're now prioritizing different maps, at least. Um, when you came into this, was it, like, was there a way that you said, okay, this is the way we want to efficiently do it, or is, is it just, you know, work with what they've got and, and see what happens? No, I, I think with coming into phase and the map, well, our goal for the two tournaments we attended was to just play as many maps as possible and as many series to get a good sample size for, you know, did we set up things properly? What do we need to work on? How does each map look like? And I think we got a good sense of that moving forward we plan to play all seven maps coming into the major because this is a team that has done it before and you know it really helps you being i think that's the difference between some of these teams you know that they're great on you know even four maps maybe but when it comes to a best of three and they can veto one out and then you can pick something they don't play and maybe even force it into a, a third to be a map that they don't play that often because they have to veto nuke against you i think that's just a big strength big advantage coming into it um, when it comes to the organizing practice and stuff, that's my responsibility, basically. That's my uh, job, so I have full control over that. Of course, I do, you know, talk to the players to make sure, like, that's fine, but my um, my psychology about it is, my approach is, 
I think that these players, at least in the two teams that I've coached, I, I consider both teams like the players are very skilled, very experienced. They've been around for a long time. So it's not necessary really to go over, like to play a lot of maps for people to go over a strat so they know how to execute it, right? Like you should be able to do that on the fly. And it most of the times that, that's the case. For me, I think it's always better to talk more and review more and do more theory than play. I would much rather have play only four maps, but have like meet an hour and a half before we play the first two, then have a break in between for people to eat and to discuss some things for the second two maps and then play those two maps. And for that to be it. Um, obviously, like as Sergey said, depending on where your team is and how much stuff you need to go through, you're obviously going to play more maps, especially if you're boot camping because this team plays online when people are people are home so you know i'm always looking at something like when we're online we have we meet like an hour and a half before practice we play three maps then we have a two-hour break which like an hour of that is for food an hour is again to do some prep and then two more maps and that's it on, on boot camp it's the same we just an added extra map in the in the second block, right? Because I, I think the problem that a lot of people have and teams have, they play just to play, you know? Like they meet up, maybe add like a couple of strats, you know, let's add these two strats on this map and let's play five maps now. And you don't even know why are you playing? Like you're practicing. So what are you trying to practice? You know, just playing for the sake of playing doesn't help you at all if you're trying to be like the number one team in the world right you need to know why you're doing things you need to know why you're moving on the map why are you calling this strat in this round what are you going to do you know you don't want to be in a situation where you're starting off a game you lose pistol let's say a ct on mirage you eco the first one then you buy the third but you had no idea why you like why didn't we force the second eco third and buy the fourth you know why are we doing this we need to have a plan for these rounds because that the dynamic changes, right? The T's have saved MAC-10s and some shit guns, and they're probably going to play something fast or execute on you, right? You need to have a plan for that round if you're doing it. Otherwise, you're just going to be down 4-0, and then the game is going to start for you. You can't start every half 4-0 down, right? So I, I think for me, that's really important, like for people to be prepared to have at least a general plan coming into the game. It doesn't have to be super rigid. You know, every round needs to go like this, the first 10 rounds. No, but I think it also helps the player, the players to not feel like the pressure when they know exactly what they're doing, right? It's something that you went over uh, in practice lots of times. Like, you know, even if it, if the game is close, you know, let's say it's 14-14, but you have good money and their buy is not ideal and, you know, your in-game leader calls something that you've done five times already. You're not thinking about 14-14. Like, you just focus on doing something you've already done, like, 5, 10, 15 times, 100 times, you know, and that way you're confident because you're just doing the same thing. You don't have to do anything crazy. You don't have to improvise, like, in the 30th round of a game. You just have something that you have at least tried out and you're confident in, okay, we know how to do this. Let's, like, just try to execute it as best as we can. Okay, well, there's a lot more going on with the evolution of that than I was. Uh, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was ready for. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's just kind of how how you feel, like, right? Because a lot of things, these players are all very, very skilled, like very good players. I, I think it's safe to say you look at Astralis; they don't have the five best players in the world, right? They don't have the arguably. 
the five most skilled players that are on one team, but they are by far the best team, and the best team will win. It's a team game, right? So that just tells you the, the reason why they're so good and why it's so hard to play against them, why their map pool is so strong. It's not because they have insane strats on every map or setups or anything like that. It's just because they play so fundamentally sound CS that always in situational Counter-Strike, when it's 4v3s, 3v4s, 2v3s, they're always going to play strong. And you are never going to win a game or lose a game solely based... Well, you might lose it, but you're never going to win it solely based off of like the strats you execute. Strat is going to get you into a 4v3, you know, you're going to hopefully have an adv advantageous situation post-plant, and that's the, the, what the strat is supposed to do. It's not supposed to wipe the team out, right? But then you need to play those situations properly, and that's where teams get, you know, they overextend just a little bit, and Astralis is so strong at, you know, waiting for people to make that small mistake and punishing them for it, and all of a sudden, you see a team executing B-Mirage on them, they get both kills maybe, you know, it's like 5v3, it's impossible to lose this round. And then some guy shows up somewhere, the lurker starts moving too fast, and it's a 3v3 out of nowhere, and then they, you know, Zipex clutches a 1v2, of course, or something like that in the end. But, you know, that happens so often that you can't even say, oh, he does, you know, like, just how good they are, or how good he is in those situations, right? You, you, you count on it happening, uh, in know, you know, in contrast to being surprised by it. So that's why you need to step up to the, you need to step up in that, you know, you need to, otherwise you can just go and watch them lifting trophies for a long time. I mean, we're, we're really wildly out of topic, but still we have plenty of time left. So uh, I'm just curious about what you now think looking back at MIBR's series against Astralis. Obviously you were one of the very few teams that could take consistently take them to close matches. I just wonder how you looked at the matchup on why why you think it was that way that it was close yeah uh, I think it was because I mean we were losing we we felt good after Stockholm then we got beat pretty bad at the major and then we had the close series after a terrible first map in Turkey so we felt after Turkey we felt like we should have won that final and we felt that we finally figured out how to play against them so after that point, every time we played Astralis, we were pretty like comfortable coming into the game. You know, the, not to go too much into into details, but of yeah, course sure. one of the very important factors is the in-game leader like really feeling like he knows how to call and he knows the adjustments he has to make on the fly and and you know what are maybe some of the individual plays that players need to go for to really make things work against a team like. Uh, Astralis. So I think it was that us after a couple of you know trial and error uh, situations, we realized okay, so this is what's been happening a lot in these games, and even in you know just some of the games that we won or the games that were really close, the things that we were doing well, we just looked at it, recognized it, and said okay, we need to do you know more of A and less yeah. of B, and then things can uh, work out well for us. Oh. Just quickly, does anybody want to buy Windigo? <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw my, that. My, my Bulgarians. It's being sold on Reddit, basically. I just saw a retweet of the the starting lineup of Windigo Gaming set for transfer today. We announced that Windigo players, along with a coach, are marketed. All right, well, uh, that would that's... be great if me, Kasad, and Nico, you know, pool our money and buy them out after playing against them. You know, our whole career here you know, is the the Balkan El, El Clasico, so now we own them. <laughs> 
I'm gonna check. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write Kassad to suggest that to him. <laughs> See how much the buyer is. I need to find and link it to him. You know. All right. Uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna move on to the next topic, and the next topic is uh, talking about the major seeding. So I gotta click that bad boy. There we go. So what uh, what we've done here for those who aren't aware, next week the first stage of the major kicks off, which is the Challenger series uh, or the Challenger stage, sorry, and uh, that used to be the major qualifier. So I know a lot of people are still a little bit pedantic about the terminology, but via Valve, it's the Challenger stage now. Uh, the interesting thing that ESL have been able to do is get a seeding push through. Now, the way that this seeding works for everybody playing at home is all of the teams will rank themselves and each other from 1 to 16 within the realms of all the teams in the challenger stage. Now, after each round of team wins and loses, an ELO system is going to be used to, to seed them accordingly for the next round of matchups. Um, all in all, a positive change to the nonsense that we've been using in the past. But what I wanted to do was, I believe Lucas has mocked us up a graphic here. And on this graphic should have how the teams are currently seeded going from the HLTV.org ranking. So let me read this out for everybody playing at home. The, the rankings changed today. So right now, if we were to use the HLTV.org rankings to seed the teams from 1 to 16 in the Challenger stage, it's Fnatic, NRG, Cloud9, Ninjas in Pajamas, Easy for Ents, RNG, Vitality, G2, Spirit, Furia, Avangar, Windstrike, Tyloo, Greyhound, Vici, and Vega coming in the last position. Now, what we're going to do is we obviously have the brains here to pick of Mr. Yanko and Sergey, who will be playing against these teams on a much more regular basis and getting to see uh, kind of what they think, how the teams here should stack up. Now, for everybody at home, we only get to watch what the teams are doing when we see officials. We don't get the privilege of being there to know who's good in practice and who's not. So, Yanka, what I'll do is I'll get you to kick it off first because we'll do two independent lists. There's going to be a bit of moving around all this kind of nonsense. But if you had to rank these teams from 1 to 16 with all the teams you can see on the board here, where are you starting? You don't have to give your, your rationale, but let's... Uh, if you can, if you want, but let's let's kick it off. Where who would you put as number one, and then we'll work down well, the list. Can we do like I think it's easier if we do like some sort of a bracket, like teams I would put like all close, like sure, the, sure. you know let's... the top five or four, because in but between them, I wouldn't really know how to differentiate them sure. per se. Like let's say I would put Fnatic, NIP, uh, NRG. Uh, and Cloud9, Vitality, those would be like my kind of first tier, first tier of teams. Like, yeah, Vitality would be right there with like Renegades. Uh, then I would put uh, Vega, Avangar. Vega's right down the bottom, Lucas. So move That's Vega the, all the like, way up. Vega is definitely the one that has to go up quite a bit, just because. They're just the classic of, like, we have no idea, but they've always kind of, like, surprised us, right? Before, like, at basically every single major, they were also kind of in, in contention to go to go up up in the second stage or, or whatever it was in the yeah. past. So I feel like it's, this is a good placing for them That's as just, well. Yeah, I, I think his question, uh, energy, I would, yeah, they're way up. They're, like, up three, let's say, put them there, yeah. So we are Vega, Avangar, G2... Yeah, I think G2, it's it's still hard to tell. I, I, I think the changes have been good for them, but, you know, obviously playing at the major is a high-pressure environment, so see how the new guys are going to cope. I think they're fine where they are right now. 
Um, and then after this, it gets a bit murky. You know, Furia, they, I didn't expect them to qualify. I, I think even, you know, I mean, if you ask about practice, it didn't really look like much. Uh, but I think the Brazilians are definitely teams that have a lot of heart, play with a lot of passion, and they're definitely scary when they have momentum, you know, because individually they have some really good, you know, players mechanically. So I think they're pretty fine where they are. I think maybe would put Spirit below them, maybe... Yeah, I think for this very end of the bracket, you obviously want to put Tai Luke a bit higher because they have some players that um, have played at, uh, at, at the major and have played internationally for a while, but they've also changed two players. So I think, for for example, those last six teams, I would have no idea who to put. Yeah, they could be. They could be. Know, I think uh, Vichy is the one that, it, that, that probably is at the bottom, though. Like, out of all of those teams, I probably would put Vichy all the way down. Yeah, and, and and the rest of them are you know pretty close. I, I I think you know some of those teams are definitely going to ruin someone else's day. I don't really see any of these teams coming out and making the the major and making the top sixteen, but they are definitely going to get a win here or there and and make it more difficult for some of these other teams to to really make it make it through. So I think in, yeah, this looks pretty pretty fair. It's uh, pretty similar, put, right? Uh, RNG, uh, maybe maybe would put Renegades ahead of Vitality as well, simply because Vitality is still, you know, they've been together for a while now, but it, it it's even with like the change with Alex, uh, I think it's like the Zaiwu, you know, the the Zaiwu factor is what makes you put them yeah. up that high. He's been just like doing so much for them. Some games they probably should have ended up losing. You know, he's definitely tipped the odds in their scale. So, you I mean, you have to respect that. I think, like, if you looked at your list there and you were to put, like, a spoiler team in, in if you were to pick your top seven and then have, like, a spoiler as the eighth, it'd be pretty hard to come up with an eighth team. Like, it feels like the pack is pretty, I don't want to say even, but, but wide open, especially now that we have the best of threes of the gateways to get through. It's going to be very unique to see the, the matchups there. And they're obviously, like you mentioned, there's going to be some, some spoiler results. But just quickly, for those who don't understand the, the line of questioning here, this is because the teams are actually going to be seeding each other. So however they've practiced against each other or whatever they know about each other from practice is how they're going to be ranking the teams, which is also quite curious because certain teams here won't be practicing each other. I, I'm sure that Sergey and Yanko can attest that if you consider your biggest threat at this whole tournament to be NRG or NIP or Fnatic, one of those big names, and you're another big name, you're likely not going to practice against them at all. You're probably, like in this kind of format, you know, a lot of shit gets thrown around. There is always that opportunity, but you're probably going to try and avoid these bigger teams so you're not giving away a lot of stuff, especially in the lead into the biggest tournament. So uh, just off the HLTV.org ranking, we're going to get Sergey's list, see if it's much different from uh, that of Yanko's and the HLTV.org one. But if you use the HLTV.org rankings as they are right now, these would be the opening matchups and nothing here sounds outside of the the realms of you know reality so you'd have Fnatic versus vega you'd have NRG i think that's one Vichy. that one off the bat is the one that i would probably not put just because of what, what i was vegas talking potential. about that well, i feel like is ranked just widely wildly out of out of reality that's because, because of the they decay, right yeah, yeah. Yes. That's, the, that's exactly it like with vega it's literally the same story over and over that that um they just don't play enough um, to to get them ranked like consistently in the top thirty, so they always fall out. Then they go to the major and they actually look competitive. 
that's like that's why they're, they're so wildly off. Sure, but okay. they're the only ones. So Fnatic vs Vega, NRG vs Vici, Cloud9 vs Greyhound, NIP vs Tyloo. We know that there's always that spoiler factor for the Ninjas of Pajamas. Obviously, last time we saw them, it was you know it was just an average performance. It wasn't anything crazy special. Uh, Ents vs Windstrike, Renegades vs Avangar, I think would be actually a really good game. I like the way that Avangar would be approaching it. Vitality vs Furia, and then G2 vs Spirit. So, all in all, I think, you know, if it was to use the HLTV.org rankings, you're right, the only one that stands out a bit like a sore thumb could be that Vega one. Uh, but other than that, like, the matchups seem, especially if, if teams are ranking RGs, Cloud9, Ninjas in Pajamas, etc., towards the top here, we shouldn't have too many uh, blunders of matchups. But, um... You were you mentioned like uh, teams practicing against each other. They are playing in the same bracket, you know, and stuff like that, and how you want to avoid them. And just, you know, I, I know you invited me, Chad, now for my little nuggets on this side of the of the you know Counter Strike sure. ecosystem or however you want to put it. So I'm gonna give you a couple. First one, something that I consider and like super. I don't know, unnecessary, I guess, is the way to put it. You have teams who put two coaches on the server when you practice them, right? So, I mean, you could argue it could be any number of reasons. My opinion is they just have one guy who's an actual coach looking at the team and what they're doing, and you just have the other guy writing down what the other team is doing, right? So that next time you play that team, like you had, like, you know, NIP back in the day, open up, like, a whole book of, you know, this is what these guys are doing and so on and so on is for me that's like something that's pretty like bm i think usually it's like the teams that do it are lower tier teams you don't really even care they can have like five people in the server and you wouldn't be bothered because you know it's not really going to help them anyway but with some of these like higher tier teams that have started to do it it's just coming to a point where you know people are going to start like saying well if you want to have two people like then you have to find someone else to practice with because I know more and more players are getting annoyed by people trying to do that because you don't want to think about, you know, are these guys just trying to practice us to like steal the stuff or, you know, what are we doing here? And um, the second thing is you asked about like teams and, you know, teams compared to practice. Uh, a funny one for me was... To be honest, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but when I was in MIBR and we were playing NIP, like practice wasn't really that productive, you know, like things weren't really like, I don't know, like they didn't seem that good. But then whenever we played them and when they started playing official games, they were playing really well. Like they played really good CSR series at the major against them was super, super close and super hard, something that we didn't expect coming into it. But after that, we've lost to them, I think, more than we won. So just tell you with some of these teams, you know, I don't know if it's that the players are maybe not serious enough about it or what they're doing, but sometimes it can be very deceiving, like the, the results that you have in practice. Uh, and out of these teams that we've mentioned, I think Cloud9 is going to be a very interesting one, obviously, playing them two times at E-League. I think they played really good CS um, across the tournament, even against even, as, even in the game we won. I just think they need to figure out a little, little bit. I think they're much stronger playing from ahead than, than playing from behind. They're super hard to play against when they have momentum, and Automatic is playing super well as an opera. I, I think, you know, if he can keep up on the same level, I think he's going to be one of the better operas uh, at the major, especially if they make it uh, through the first phase. 
So, okay, do you agree with uh, those points about the the coaching? Uh, sorry, about the players. You know, picking the seeding. Do you think that there's that that similar theme of uh, not sandbagging? Uh, maybe that's a bad term to use, but that that maybe a bit of misdirection in practice. That you know, teams are maybe not doing what they should be, or not practicing, or practicing tactically to give a different impression. Well, in general, we was using this system before, right? But I think that it's kind of fine to use it for a regular tournament. But I don't think it's too good to use it for a major. On the other hand, you can use HLT ranking as well, like Janko told, right? Because we have Vega, who is not playing like at all. And the third part, we was talking with you, I guess, Chad, during minor maybe. And I like uh, tried to figure out the situation. What if we would qualify? right from seed number 24 and uh, how happy would be seed number nine for example Fnatic to play us in first round if it would be by just seeding of the major sure of the previous yeah. one right so it was also bad i mean you right. know everything about tough seeding from the last major so yes but um any more rough than that i want to touch the topic which janko mentioned about two coaches and stuff we never played Teams with two coaches, we never practice against teams with two coaches unless it was some warm-up prac before EPL match or whatever during season, maybe some one map, you know? It's basically from teams which can actually, like, try to beat you on the tournament. It was only HR and BIG who had two coaches. Yeah. Uh, like, we never was practicing against them serious before big events or whatever, right? So this coaching thing is, I totally agree with Janko, it's really bad and I don't think it's just fair to some other teams. It's not because other teams can't have two coaches, it's just like sportsmanship, you know? I mean, it's and, basically the same thing as like, you guys don't really have GoTVs on, on the server just because yeah. like obviously the team who owns the server can just like look back at it and basically anti-strat the shit out of you next time you meet each other, so... But yeah, that's yeah. another next level thing. So obviously every team has opponents that they blacklist for practice for various reasons. So there are teams you blacklist because they do the thing where you give them the server IP, they join, and then they write on the server, hey, one guy can't join, can you try our server, like it's the same location, blah, 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 blah. Then you join, then of course the first thing you do is you check status so you can see if yeah. there's GoTV on. Yeah. So then you see they have GoTV on their server, and that's why they wanted to change back, right? They're just like giving you an excuse, for example, so they could look up at stuff. So you even you, there's a team that's on your list here for the major that's that's blacklisted, at least in my book, for for doing that. So Look, I mean, even I, even yeah. even teams that are like, you know, top twenty, top thirty in the world think that they can get away with something like that, which is just it's ridiculous. I think if anything, this is more of a technical issue. If we had some sort of a some sort of an update where you could only have like GoTV observing one of the teams, just so you can basically set it up on your team, so you can see, um, like what your players are doing only. I feel like that would help a little bit with like those teams because it not might not necessarily be they might not necessarily have to GoTV just to counter you or just to watch you back, but to just to watch themselves back, right? Just to to see a better overview rather than just like five individual points of view. That's that's what I feel like is a bit of a problem that teams can't use at this point. 
um, unless you guys just use something else I, that I don't know about. But but I feel like this is a bit of an issue from the technical side of CSGO. I mean, look, like really good coach and good player can just record five POVs or coach. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. POV yeah. and they will realize it anyway just by the blind map. Even it doesn't matter. You don't need even whatever wall hack to understand what's up on the map, right? So it just depends on like how team is approaching it. Do they really doing it? Do they really taking it like so hard or not? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's simple, right? Like I could as well, just being the one coach, I could just focus more on what the opponents are doing, right? And think about, oh, this round they did this, they threw these smokes and blah, 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 and write yeah. that stuff down and focus on that. But then I cannot focus as much on what my own team is doing. So I think if you want to deal with that stuff, then just have one guy decide what he's going to focus on, right? And yeah. what, what's the next step? Let's have five guys in and everyone's going to watch. <laughs> this guy's going to watch which smokes they're throwing and you know, it could, <laughs> it could evolve into whatever, right? So I just think it's something that just stupid really and shouldn't be happening. Yeah, but on the other hand about um, teams pracking each other, I just want to mention this because uh, Vega lost two majors, never played against teams and never surged the practice against team who is playing the major. So Wait, was... you're saying that they don't play teams who are going to be at the major? No. That they're just goes pracking. even more with their play style, right? The fact that they're so hard to read. It's, they're not pracking. Exactly. Okay, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they're preparing and they never play in the teams because it's major. Oh, something's, I mean, gonna, it's, it's, something's changed because we're practicing them tomorrow. I booked like six Yeah, but you're in different so stage. You're in different stage. They're not practicing ah, you mean their that's stage. not in the same stage. Ah, yeah, I get it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's... Lucas, can we bring back up the graphic? Uh, let's see if we can get Sergey's uh, list and how he might change it. Obviously, we had Yankos. We had the HTV to Orgon. Oh, look, we've even got this. Oh, okay, sure. cool. This is like 10 out of 10, out of 10 production. Yeah, value, we've given him time. He's worked it out. So, Sergey, with the list on the screen, how would you... You, know, you can do it like Yanko did. You can do it in pools. You can do it in, you know, groups of six or seven or however you want to do yeah, it. How basically, the first pool is kind of same, but we just need to swap Cloud9 and Energy. I think that Cloud9 will be better. Just swap Cloud9 and Energy. Cloud9 and Energy. Cloud9 to second. Energy yeah. to Cloud9 third. Cloud9 to second. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, swap Vitality and Ents as well. All right, Lucas, let me talk you through this. Cloud9, he's, number two. He's totally off. Cloud9, number two. Why. Okay, C9, number two. Yeah, NRG, number three. <laughs> yeah, so move Ninja. Yeah, there you go. What was that one, Vitality, and who are we swapping? Ents. Uh, Ents, okay, so move Vitality up one, Ents down one. This is like uh, the price is right. <laughs> I feel like a gate. A ga would you leave Renegades there? Most people don't even know. No, I would put Vitality on five. Yep. Vitality, move Vitality on five. up one more and Renegades down to below Ents. So move Renegades down. Red one, the guy with the bandana. There you go. All right. What do we got next? Uh, we have Avangar. You put them above Renegades or? No, right after. Okay. Avangar under Renegades. Move them up. There you go. Now it gets messy. Now it gets a little bit. This is the thing with these teams, right? Like, from watching Vici and Greyhound, like, in person. Ugh. Yeah, they're going to be at the bottom. Those two, I feel like, yeah, and, have to be. And just put Vega as well somewhere close, closer to G2. 
and everything else you can keep the same. The bottom's just a clusterfuck. So yeah. Yeah. obviously you just Vega to spirit. You cannot move it. You can keep it. Yeah, something like that. Vega you... and spirit. It doesn't matter. Do you think Vega's approach is like they do that because it's with their playstyle, Sergo? About what you were saying, the fact that they don't they don't practice teams in their pool, so they can actually just be really random and hard to read. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's the way of approaching things as well, right? I mean, for tier one team, it doesn't matter that much if you will play Vega. It doesn't matter if you will show something, right? Because you will even find out more info than them, probably, right? And you know you're stronger and stuff, and it's like nothing special if you will prog them. But when they're not practicing against the same pool of teams who are at kind of their level that's pretty hard for opponents then because every opponent like every team here in the list played some officials this year or last three months at least if you will open vega you will not see like anything there and you have like zero idea of how they will play that's literally the same story every single major like i said before yeah keep so, getting that stick of money right yeah so that's a way of approach and it's like nothing to judge to be honest that's the way they see the thing so it's fine look they had they had three matches in something that's called a hunt wave league this year <laughs> yeah but that doesn't I don't know i don't know i guess vici three wait vici how did they play against vici Vichy ah, was in europe i remember this oh thing. okay Vichy was bootcamp in europe yeah yeah but yeah they played vici 3d max and super jimmy so that's about the extent of information you have on Vega Squadron at this point. All right, so I think we can put a bow on this topic here about the major seeding because everything looks like it's going to be pretty pretty similar, right? I think we can see who the clear, you know, top four to five teams are, while top six is pretty clear from there, and then the bottom we can just realize it's becoming a bit of a mess. So before we move on to talking about the tournament, which just popped up out of nowhere, I want people in chat to start pumping some questions through now. It can be for Yanko, Striker, Sergey, myself, it doesn't really matter, it can be in general. Um, I want to, before we move on to the, the Ice Challenge one, I want to bring up this topic and, and get both of your opinions on this. This is another thing we discussed uh, at length, and it is going to be the org meta right now. Now, just to preface this, I'll give you where we kind of landed on it and where we ended up. Um, I think the discussion roundabout, we got to the point that this is Valve crowbarring this into the game because they want players to use it to uh, see you know, its actual benefits that there are clear benefits. One of the thoughts that I had uh, having a chance to play with it a little bit is that it allows you to hold more advantageous angles as a CT, not necessarily needing to use the, the utility in the same way. Uh, and I think that they won't adjust the price of it until after the major, and they should just put it back to what it originally was because I think people would probably still buy it. So uh, what is your guys' take on this in the current meta? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? What do you, what do you foresee going forward? Well, I think the gun is not necessarily overpowered i think just as you said like the price makes it overpowered right for what it can do i think it's uh too cheap and i think the point is as well with what people say uh about well the gun didn't really change as the price changed why wasn't no if it, if it was so op why was no one playing with it before well i think elish made a really good comment in regards to that saying well why would I spend my time so much uh, on a gun, like practicing a gun that I'm only going to use in these certain situations when I have like 6K or, you know, 6.5K, so only in like full, full buy rounds, I can use this gun. Why would I spend that money, uh, spending time practicing that gun instead of the M4 or the AK or whatever? Now that the gun is viable, I can buy it you know i can buy it as much as i buy the ak or as much as i buy the m4 it makes more sense 
for me to practice it uh, and get better with it. And then the gun really seems like overpowered in 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 some situations. So I agree. I think the the fix is fairly simple in terms of just uh, having the the price go up. But uh, this, you know, you could argue: should it be how 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 much should you raise it back to its old level or somewhere in between? But I think it definitely needs to be more expensive than it is right now. There needs to be, you know, uh, a, a price to pay for. If you want this gun, then you can't have all your nades, you know. So that leaves you exposed to something else, and you can be stronger, you know, in a straight-up duel or or something along those lines. Sergey. Yeah, I don't think it's like super weird that people are playing with it now because a lot of people were crying before and as Younger told and what Elish mentioned, I had totally same discussions with the players in mouse because uh, for example, like Mika told, okay, I had 9k hours with M4 AK, what I have to do now, like practice OG or not to practice OG, right? But if it's in the current meta, obviously you should. On the other hand, uh, if it will be more expensive, like what we are seeing now, that teams are just buying third round on Mirage, five Augs, coming three guys in windows with an Augs, and just spraying it, and you can't do nothing, right? And what if uh, you have this 4K and you can't buy Aug and Kevlar? Like how it would change the meta again, right? People would have to do one more eco, or will have to play M4s, and it will be just more balanced a bit. Um, that will have more options economy-wise and more decisions on a second round already. Because right now, even Oprol and BIG, like Thompson can just take this AUG, and they will not need OP, you know? That was ridiculous. We had a round against them on cash. Like the first, second gun round, Guardian is like searching A main with the op and clearing angle by angle. And Tapson is holding an off angle, which was a good position, like towards car. But still, like he sprays him down so fast with the op from like almost car to, to A main that, you know, a player like Guardian doesn't have enough time to really, like, you know, take his shot. I don't know if he <laughs> missed it because he had to like move to federal. I don't know. But. You know, he lost the duel with an AWP, dry duel to, to an AUG. So, you know, the gun has its definitely uh, pros. Uh, it has some cons as well. You know, it's not good in all situations. Um, but I, I think for sure, like, the, the price on it needs to, go, needs to go up. And I agree with what uh, Sergey said. You know, some players are just reluctant to play with it. You know, they just say, oh, this is a noob gun. You know, I'm not going to be using this gun. This gun is for noobs. And I'm like, I'm one of your players? Of course. In, in both teams, there's, there were players who, who had that mindset. Luckily, there's players who are mentally sound and they understand that the gun is strong. And it has its uses, especially in some of the positions that they play. And it's like, if it's in the game, listen, I have Tech Nine Meister in my team. That guy's going to use anything. So, yeah, that's true. No, jokes aside, I really think you know, you're foolish if you don't use it. If if it fits your position and if you can practice it, you know, for these players, they're so skilled. You don't need to practice a thousand hours with the AUG to be good with it. You just need to get used to the recoil kind of and use it situationally when you want to go for certain plays. Of course, for the majority of the time, probably you're going to play with your default guns. I think the Krieg is much harder than the, than the AUG to control and to master, but I think that's why it can be even more annoying with the AUG then the AUG, when a guy is really good with the Krieg. So, you yeah, know, I had one guy. Like, like, yeah, like Chris J, like, you know, Elige obviously on Liquid, right? You can see how annoying those guys are 
in, in some positions because they're really good with the gun. It just gives them a, an advantage in some of the fights in, in, the, in the positions that they play. Not to mention that it actually is psychological warfare. When a guy dies three times in a row, like getting one tapped from a Krieg, he's going to lose his mind. I don't know what, I don't know really what it was <laughs> for those reactions, but with some guys it is like that. Instead of just yeah. accepting it, you know, it's in the game, you can use it or not use it, but don't whine about it. It's the same. I was actually comparing this to the auto sniper back in the day, basically, towards the, the start of CSGO and even like at the end of 1.6, like whenever somebody picked up an auto sniper, people called it the auto noob. And a lot of people did. Like that, that was a that was a big. big but more people should one. use the auto sniper. It's just two hundred and fifty more than the I was, op, I was and you get that. more like, per I'm... kill. Like it's different because it's not one shot, one kill. But yeah. some maps playing off angles with the AUG where uh, with the uh, auto sniper where people can't spend as much utility to like get map control. It would be really strong. But I'm I'm gonna take it one step at a time. You know, I can't come into <laughs> a team. You all are gonna play double scar, double op. One shotgun, you know, we look, can't I'm, off with I'm that. Like, that's like, I that's see it, like you know, after a couple of years of solid marriage, you know, you <laughs> suggest something a bit kinky like that. So <laughs> just before we put a bow on the org situation, do you both think that if they revert it, after this little experiment, if they revert the price point of these weapons back to its original or make it more expensive, do you think there'll still be a use case and players will still be using it going forward? Obviously not as much, but there'll be more of a balance. Like when there is the full buy possible, then they can go to the org as the next step before who knows what. Yeah, I think but, so. I just don't want to see five orcs in first gun round with like Kevlar's. Sure. That's what I don't want to see, because nowadays, even like second op roll is definitely not there because of this AUG. You don't need to buy second op, you can just buy AUG on multiple positions where you're normally using second op. So, if price will be a bit lowered, I mean a bit higher, and uh, you can like afford to buy this gun in a full gun round if you really need this gun in some positions and I can call like nuke secret or whatever because it's better than up there or something like this you know if you really want and need to use this gun yeah you can buy it in a full gun round but you can't afford it to buy in third round of the game and instantly get like everything when you lost a pistol round that's not Gucci yeah I agree I, I think uh Means as it is now, especially after players have been, you know, playing with it at least a little bit. I think we're gonna see it. You know, if you're winning like four or five zero, and you have six, seven, eight k, and the difference is five hundred or six hundred or however between M4 and AUG, I think why not? You know, some people might buy it if it fits. Again, I think it has its place as a situ situational gun that in some position it can be really good, but it has to be more expensive. Um, and I think in that case you'll see people buy it. Uh, of course, M4 is still going to be the dominant gun on the on the CT side, but you can see it sometimes being picked up. The only way it doesn't get picked up is if, if players think like, "Oh, I'm gonna play like the Elige argument, right? Like I'm gonna use it very rarely. You know, it's not worth my time to get good with the gun, so it's better to just keep playing with the M4 and get better with the M4." Maybe that draws like players a, a, a bit more uh, away from it. I definitely see that coming. And also, I'm not entirely sure that the gun is considered OP enough at this point for people not to just go back to the M4 because, purely because of economic purposes. Because it feels like, especially with how the economy works, that you have like basically, you would have to change how you eco and how you like half buy and stuff like that quite a bit. 
if uh, the price of the AUG went up like 300 back to where it was. So just because of that, I feel like people would just rather go back to the M4 rather than change like how the entire team or how certain players do their force bars or, or half buys and change like the first three rounds entirely on the base of that. I just think making it more pricey would just sure some players would probably keep using them at certain like in certain situations. But I feel like we just go down to like below um below like whatever two percent of all kills at, at tournaments where it's basically irrelevant irrelevant. Alright, so hopefully we can strike the balance because we all know that uh, Volvo are trying to make uh, things as interesting as possible for all of us. But Wait, how, how much was it? Was thirty five hundred? Thirty three? Thirty three or thirty four? I'm not. I think it was thirty three fifty. The thing was, I thought it was thirty five hundred as well when we first had this uh, conversation. I was under the impression that it was thirty five hundred, right? Because that's what it was in one point six. Yeah, and I no, never remember. True. I never remember buying it at all. People are saying thirty three hundred. I don't know where I got the fifty from, uh, but. Regardless, so that's only a hundred and fifty dollar different price point, right? Which is from where it is now, which is basically fuck all. So I think if they put it back to where it was, everything will just you know, I don't think we'll go back to normality, but I think as we mentioned the use cases will, will be there. Yeah, I think, you know, I thought it was more as well, but I still I'm think even to, if I'm it's I'm trying to find it but I can't. Yeah, I'm googling it as well, but can't really I the find thing it. is I've checked this like about ten times now. But I've forgotten like every single time. Wait, 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 I know. I had it in my old article about meta changes when the UMP was OP. I actually had it in there. Oh uh, shit, we're really rolling back the years. <laughs> August 3300, yeah. And, yeah, so. And are obviously 31. Yeah, so it's not like it's 150, but the thing is what Sergey said, right? If you buy it in the third round, you know, if you don't get a kill, it's like 4400 you have. Uh, by that point, if you don't have any frags and and you just went for the for the full eco, so I think that 150 is the difference between you being able to buy yep. like a smoke and a flash, and deciding do I either just want to get one smoke or just get two flashes, and also do you buy head armor or not? Because if you're yep. buying in the third round, as we mentioned, you know the opponents have Mac 10s, you know they have some shittier guns, so you know at that point if you don't have a head armor, you can still get wrecked by those guns too so it's a bigger trade-off than people can imagine than people may think because if you get one kill you can buy a head armor and a smoke and a flash which is for a round like that if you decided to buy it's like luxury to have that amount of of gear really sure all right let's uh let's put a bow on this one and we're going to move forward to the Ice Challenge, uh, which is an interesting name for a tournament, uh, but it's at an expo, I believe, in London. So this is going to be uh, the last showing on LAN before anybody plays, um, I guess, the Major. So we have a four-team tournament, another one of these bad boys. It's a great way for teams to be putting their toe in the water, which is starting tomorrow at 11.30 CET. Uh, and the teams are Navi, Avangar, North, and Heroic. So you've got two teams from the CIS region and two Danish squads. And the opening matchups are Navi versus Heroic and Avangar versus North. Now, the only teams with anything to, to play for, I would say, or anything to, to lose, I guess, is Navi and Avangar, and that's potentially losing confidence going into the major. Um, hopefully, they set their expectations and you know they're testing themselves in this environment. But it's best the threes the whole way through. Um, so it's a good way to you know iron out any kinks and make sure everything's good for the land environment for Navi. We get to see if they're still arguing with each other all the time. 
Uh, for Heroic and North, we both know that they're in positions with that scene where things could end up a mess. Regardless, roster swaps could be on the cards, uh, as we just saw North had a coaching change, which we talked about earlier, and Heroic uh, just brought in Blame F. Um, Avantgarde did impress me at the minors, and they continue to do so where they have a bit more of, um, I guess, a unique take. They're basically doing the standard stuff, but they'll throw in a little a little kink here, there, and everywhere. I think James is, is a pretty impressive orper. So let's start with uh, expectations. Strike, are you going to give us the uh, the classic Navi have to win this one? Of course. But, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the same case as... Well, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what, what the other tournament was when we were talking about it, but it's the, it's it's the same thing with like a heavy favorite attending the tournament. This is not a tournament that they can not come first and gain anything from it. So if unless they they have to they have to win it because if they don't, it's gonna be a big shit show for them and a bad bad blow before the major. It feels like a pretty open and shut case, which is unfortunate here. But I think one of the more interesting signs for me is are Navi going to show any change in their map pool, right? I think every team going up against, uh, going into this major, are looking at Astralis as the top dog. And I don't know with the, with the time that they've taken off if they've looked to readdress anything, if they look to, you know, make Cache a map that they might actually be interested in playing on a more regular basis. We've seen them f uh, flirt with that in the veto before against Astralis. Um, Yank or Sergey, do you guys have any uh, any thoughts about, about this tournament or Navi in particular? I think it's a great tournament to showcase that teams being at the tournament simply because they have to, and they would never attend this tournament if they didn't have to because of sponsor obligations. So it's a super silly situation for, I mean, especially for Navi and Avangar because they have stake at the major. So how do you do this tournament if you're in their seat? Do you say, let's go to this tournament and not care to just run around and play stupid stuff, you know, not show a single thing we're going to do. At the Let's change our positions as well. But <laughs> then you're just wasting time for the five days that you're traveling back and forth and playing at the actual tournament instead of being home and practicing or boot camping before the major, right? The other thing you can do, well, let's test out some of the basic stuff that we have to see how that goes. Some of the really cool stuff that we have in store, we're not going to show it no matter what because we don't care whether we win or lose a tournament that has 50k prize pool a week before the major. But then you get into a position where yeah, you no one likes to lose. Like no matter what you're playing, no one likes losing. Especially to you know some of the teams that are here. You know I don't think Navi considers them their equals. So you're going to be in a situation where maybe you're losing to some you know, of these teams and you're going to say, yeah, let's do this or let's do that. And then, God forbid, that doesn't work. Then you're in a position where, well, does this stuff that really we really thought is good, does it even work? Then you struggle with your confidence, right? So I think it's going to be very hard for them to get a lot of, you know, anything positive out of this tournament. Obviously, going all the way and winning it, like it's, it's always great to win and lift a trophy, no matter how small the tournament is or or how, you know, even, even if the opponents are not the, the strongest or the best, but what is the cost for that for Navi? What if they've decided to change some positions maybe on maps and now people are going to see it, you know? I think one of the main strengths is going to make MIBR one of the, you know, big problems at the major probably not just because they have great players, but no one will know anything. You don't know what their map pool is going to look like. Like, yeah, you can tell probably their Inferno is going to be good. And, you know, even if they play Nuke, it's not going to be great and things like that. Um, but you don't know, is their cash better than their overpass? They can go through the first phase without playing a single map 
you know, without playing cash once. And then you can pick it against them in the playoffs because they left it in. But what do you do? You know, do you, is it a strong match? You know, you just don't have the information. So I guess the point of this is you don't really want to give information about your team unless you really feel like you have to attend a tournament or you want to, to, to test something in a live environment. But this doesn't really seem like that situation. So I think a team like Navi and even a team like, you know, Avangar is a bit of a different position because they could use like some, you know, a good game against a team like Heroic or, or North or even Navi on land. It's going to mean a, a lot for them coming into the major, but it's also an awkward situation, right? Like you, you don't want to let people know too much about you uh, coming into the biggest tournament of the year. Well, I have a different thoughts. Like, I don't know what's up with Norse and the Heroic. But first, I will cast this tournament, so I'll try another role as a caster. Oh, nice. <laughs> You're doing the opposite role yeah. than me, bro. Yeah, but uh, for Navi, uh, it's like a warm-up tournament. Like, FaZe played warm-up tournament, Astralis played warm-up tournament, right? To find out, like, what's up. Because you, Yanko, know as well, Prags are Prags, right? But official match, even if it's shit, like low tournament official match is definitely better in any case and on the other hand uh, as i know at least that might be not true but navi is just boot camping there so they don't need to travel back and waste time and that's like what making the changes oh, right helps. so uh, that's the first part so they're just playing like a warm-up tournament maybe without showing anything and then they still have a lot of time to practice with Avangar, uh, these guys, like for these guys, um, every tournament is like gold, right? They're trying to play really good on every tournament they attend. And for them, it's another chance to just like win a tournament and win some money, obviously. So I think they will also play pretty serious because they was playing minor, obviously, already and stuff like that. Well, also, I'm sorry, but for a team like yeah. Avangar, something that probably you and me don't think about is like for them also... Having a good result means they move up in the ranking, right? That's a lot. Of, yeah. A lot of these teams are thinking about that because it affects his invites and stuff like that. Yeah, obviously, it's not like we we was not thinking about it for ages, <laughs> right? But for them, it's really important thing because why Vega is not playing anywhere? They can't pass online qualifiers because of their uh, uh, how it's called because of their uh, uh, basically living places, right? They have like Location, yeah. locations, right? big latencies and stuff, some of them, and then they don't have rankings, and then they don't have any invites and playing only majors, which is ridiculous, but that's what we have. With Norse, also just changed the coach, basically, I guess for them, it's just a mid-tournament, like meet-up tournament, with a new coach or whatever, and Heroic, well, I don't know what's up there, to be honest. I mean, for them, it's kind of a kind of a testing testing yeah. ground as well because of Blame Because yeah. as far as I know, they they haven't really played anything serious. I mean, not not overly serious since they got him in. So, so that would be a, a pretty big um, test for them as well. <laughs> yeah, but I agree. This tournament can be really interesting, actually, when you look at it. Right? Is Navi gonna win without having to show too much? Uh, Heroic has been practicing. You know, they got a new player. You know, they they need to show something here what they've been working on because they they're not gonna be at the major. Avangar is going to be there, so you know, for them to get some things rolling, to get some confidence coming into it, and for North, 
you know, you think the team is just waiting to, to make more changes after the major, but how many times have we seen a team that's just supposed to fall apart, they come to a tournament and because they don't care and there's no pressure, they just, you know, roll over everyone. So it can be very entertaining tournament to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, I know some team like this. Well, I think, I think the thing... <laughs> For those people who aren't aware, I think that uh, I think that this tournament is a sponsor obligation for some of these teams. Um, yeah, Maybe so for everybody, basically. I went to see if Heroic was sponsored by them. I'm not sure about Heroic. Yeah, yeah. the other three for sure. So, so the fact of the matter here is, for North, this could just be compounding on the problem, right? They probably like I, I'm going to tell you from firsthand experience, and obviously this cuts deep for Sergey. Uh, in recent times, but not qualifying for a tournament or not qualifying for a major when you probably should have is the worst feeling in the world. The, even after you lose a tournament, the last thing you want to do is go home and turn on your PC and play again, right? So um, I think for them, you know, the the fact that they have to go into this tournament, I would treat it in the, in the fashion that Yanko was alluding to in the NIP at the Dubai event kind of fashion where just throw caution to the wind obviously play with your loose structure but just try and have some fucking fun because you've really got nothing to lose and everything to gain if you can put that win on the board you're going to help yourself from at least an emotional level uh and maybe you'll enjoy counter-strike a little bit more which which obviously isn't isn't the, the fact of the matter anymore because this is a, a prof- professional environment now but any win can be a really big win for them so, you know, if you lose, you go out in last place, whatever. If you put up a decent fight, if you test Navi, if you make Avangar, you know, to go all three maps, I think anything for them is a positive. For Heroic, I don't know. They just they just seem like they're going to be the team who is going to continue to have anybody who appears to be a star just poached, right? It doesn't doesn't feel like if you're a player on the way up, Heroic's just a stepping stone for the, for the next big thing. It's not going to be a, a, a place that a lot of these stars stay in for very long. So... All in all, I think that the best thing about this tournament is is getting to gauge Na'Vi before they actually have to play, or at least from an analytical perspective, right? Because honestly, if they've changed things up, and, and all those caveats are in there, what kind of approach are they going to take with this? I think they want the W. You know, these are the team who gets super fiery at one another. They obviously get stuck into each other in the middle of games, and uh, I guess that is is that just a CIS way of operating, Sergey? Getting, getting so fired up at each other? Well, not always, but I mean, <laughs> if you will look at Avangar and then at Navi, you will see like Big fire difference. and dice, right? So Avangar is like chilled and stuff, and then you see Navi. So it depends always on personalities. So I, I'm just trying to think: do we have do we have much else to touch on on this topic of uh, ice? It's it's a pretty small one, right? We don't really have too much to go off here. We 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 know North is in a bit of a bad place. Navi looking to to get the Year started, Avangar, they're sitting pretty right now. They got the major next week, and then Heroic, who are just one of those middle tier teams who you know seem to, to struggle but I hang around Heroic potentially have probably the biggest stake in this just because they don't really have anything else to attend, just in general. So it's like the Super Bowl theory that Tommy keeps throwing around that this is their Super Bowl, right? I mean, something something along those lines, yeah. Just, just to just as a caveat to the tournament, that they as a team that's probably the um, the lowest ranked out of these four, I'm pretty sure, must be right. Yeah, 37 yeah, for sure. They they actually have the have the biggest stake in this. So that's that's kind of an interesting angle to to the tournament in general. They could just like, and as far as I know, I saw Spryberg tweeting something about a boot camp as well. Um, that they were pretty happy with it and and stuff like that. So they they clearly prepared for it quite well as well. If they had a boot camp, so I feel like they could potentially be like a dark horse with that. Sure. 
All right. Well, I feel that the ice challenge is uh, slowly melting away here, and that's uh, the, the end of our designated topics for this evening. But I did take note of a couple of the questions that came through chat. You guys can shoot some more through right now if we can pick them up quick enough. But uh, we'll start off some of these. The first one I've got is, I didn't pick up the names of who asked these questions, so I apologize. But one of the questions was directed at you, Yanko. It says, uh, how are the comms with you and Nico? Because it looks like you communicate a lot, which makes sense. He's the in-game leader and you're the coach. Um, but uh, I'm going to, to take this one step further. Are you guys communicating in English or Serbian when you're having those little moments of, shit, we need to change this or, you know, this is the solution? You mean in game, like in yeah. an official game, or yeah. in no, in in an official game, most like I think all the time I I speak in English because I want the other players to know what I'm saying as well. Uh, only if I feel like I don't have enough time to say everything, and I think it's really important that it goes through, then maybe I will say it in in Serbian or just something you know as an end note, like when I've said everything I need to say team wise, but I want to like you know. Get him like a bit with, to play with a bit more energy or something. I say something like, you know, the last three words in Serbian or or or, or something like that. But most of the time, yeah, it's it's for sure in English. I had this in MIBR. I try to keep it the same in 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 phase that whenever it's a team environment, English is always the language that's being spoken because now you have Rain and Olaf. They both speak Swedish. Uh, Guardian and, and Adren can speak Russian, and me and Nico can speak Serbian. So you don't really want to have these three little groups, right? You want it to be a team. So we we stick to English like uh, as much as humanly possible. Sure. All right. Uh, this is one for for everybody. This is a fun one. Uh, when a roster change takes place, what is the procedure? I.e., do the remaining players sit down and agree on potential candidates, or does the org come back with a list of potential players? And then they choose from that list. Well, my last experience with that was uh, replacing myself, was stepping <laughs> down. Um, but before that, it was replacing. It's a hard one. Yeah, it was a hard uh -huh. one. Was uh, replacing Havoc uh, with. Uh, who did we replace him with? We replaced Havoc with. How's my memory gone on this? Yeah. Oh, you're still up. Yeah. No, oh, we already had Yam. Um, and that's a fun story. So. Basically, because we used to live in the casino in Las Vegas back in that time, uh, you couldn't really escape each other, right? Like to do fun stuff doesn't exist in winter time in a casino in Las Vegas. So for us, uh, it basically was me sitting on the floor of my manager's hotel room, racking our brains out on the way that we were going to do this because we had to tell a guy that he was first of all getting kicked from the team, which means he loses his salary and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, has to fly all the way back to Australia and he's he's out. Like, that's it, right? So the, the experience in that situation was I sat there with the, I think it was me, uh, JKS and Azza, and then the manager Gomez, and we were sitting there for the longest period of time of how we were going to do this, how we were going to make the change, um, who was going to tell him and all this stuff. And basically I sat down uh, with Luke in the lobby and I, I told him that. So that, that was kind of the last time I ever had to be involved in one of those situations. So, okay, what we could do is we can flick this one to you, when you guys did the the change with um, snacks, I don't know if you can talk too much about this, but where did that come from? Like, did you have a big say in this? Was this more from the players? Um, well, because of buyouts and stuff, what's to go with management? I honestly don't want to touch this topic. We can touch sure. the topic when we was bringing Martin and Tani. Um, sure. Yeah. That was the last time where it was like normal way of change. So... Basically, we lost the major, like, always, and people start thinking about the changes. But that was, like, the way 
how I kind of see it a normal way. First, uh, one player was removed immediately after match, basically, and I never was a person who was hiding something or whatever. I just told it to him right after match outside that you guy didn't done everything you promised to myself and to yourself. So you basically didn't done your 100%, right? And you know like how it will go now, right? So Lowell was removed this way, he understood it, and I'm really happy how it ended up, like how the relations went up after, because he understood his fault and uh, that was nothing special. With Dennis, it was a bit different because the guy was doing his 100% actually and doing his 110%, I would say. Even. Uh, but then um, uh, we wanted Stiko for quite a while before and we just couldn't buy him out from HR because price was too high for him. And Sunny was almost for free, basically. But lineup was formed by suggestion of a players together with um, owner and including me. And everyone like accepted both of those candidates, yeah, because we already talked through like the roles they potentially can have and do they fit us at least like on all the maps and how they are as a person. Because I didn't know Sunny at all except saying hi. Uh, a new stick obviously and yeah in the end we just like created this team this lineup which was playing pretty well i would say um including everyone in the club right not just some party so that was like a good part for me at least uh with snacks i will not touch on this but that was different i will just say it was it was totally different also i like the way Robs was picked to the team. So Robs was picked uh, was the longest test I ever saw in my like coach career. He played over 30 maps in the team with a team to see if he actually fits, right? So 30 maps is not like the short test when you have short period of time. And then we just signed him and the guy was impressing like from start to finish. And I think that every team who is picking player have to make a test to be honest you can't pick like a cat you know sure. I, was, I was about to actually touch on this uh, based on what you said last about like actually putting him through a, through a very comprehensive test i feel like nowadays just because of the time constraints that we have in cs it's causing teams to just pick to rush into changes when they want to chip it's not really the, their fault it's just the way that kind of strike works works and that they can't just take a month off and and um and come up with a new player to pick, but it's just like a, a, a topic of conversation, I guess, uh, in in um, how much teams cannot even like properly test their players and think about what kind of a player they can get um, in the current landscape. Sure, th things are obviously a lot stricter now, and, and we can turn this to Yanko because we we had this kind of discussion, or this was a point I brought up when we were talking about phase on one of the other podcasts was. Uh, whether or not this 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 you obviously don't need to allude to at all, Yanko. But it's it's about uh, Adren being on the team, and obviously you had to pick up a player in an, in a period of time where roster locks coming in, the majors happening. There's not a huge amount of time um, to sort all that information out, and he was one of the better available candidates. I was considering for a team like yours, who has as you've mentioned four fantastic players who can basically do whatever you need them to do. Right, Nico and Olaf can secondary AWP whenever you want. Guardians very versatile as an AWP, a range just a just a very solid player. 
from an individual standpoint. Having that core of the team constantly there, does that make it like easier to bring in a guy like a, a, a Dren? Obviously, there's people who have their positions and moving. That that's that's never going to be easy. But do you think that it could be a consideration where you keep a Dren? This is hu- completely hypothetical. You keep a player for like three months, and then like after three months is up, you just move on to somebody else, and that way you could keep like a fresh look. Or do you think it's better to stick with five and try and build something like like a Astralis type project or something with a bit more longevity? Oh, you mean like change the fifth guy every three months? Well, like the, the, the option for that, right? Because Adren right now, and, and I, I'm talking out of my ass here, this is just my complete opinion, is he feels like a temporary fix until after the major happens where there might be more players who, have, uh, you know, who fit whatever you want better coming out of the woodwork. That kind of stuff is changing yeah, all the time. Well, just to clarify, yes, he is on like a contract until the end of the major as far as I know, but that's not, you know, if something ain't broke, we're not going to try and fix it. If we come to the major and not necessarily result-wise, but as a team, if we like start playing really well and if Nico can in-game lead and still play on a high level and if his calls are solid enough, like sure, I mean, I would think it would be better to have an in-game leader and let him do something else. But if he is capable of doing both, you know, then it's like, why would we force an extra change when this seems to be working out, you know? Um, so that's not out of the question that Adren remains on the team, right? Even, even after the major. But I don't think it's something that's really viable to have for the long term. Like to have those changes keep happening because, well, it, it could work in theory if it was always the same type of a player. Like if no one else would need to make almost any adjustments, and it would just be this one guy. You know, let's say, for example, an opper who plays all the same spots, right? So then he would just play his spots and the rest of the team would, you know, play the same stuff. Um, and, and that way you wouldn't, we wouldn't want to change. You wouldn't have to change too much. Let's say, you know, you compare it to basketball and you just keep changing like the center, right? Like every three or four months, you get a different center in, but the other guys are still playing, you know, their own positions, point guard, shooting guard, and all that stuff, so they can still play their own game, and and it's, again, the same type of a center, right? So that way it could work, but that feels like it's super specific that it would be something that you could find. So I really think you, as any team, you're just looking to find, like, the five guys that, that are first very skilled, uh, that have a good work ethic and that also uh, mesh well in terms of personalities and roles on the team. Uh, I, I think that's what you want to establish and, and run with the same five for as long as humanly possible. Do you agree with that, Sergey? You'll just get five or do you think there's like room in Counter-Strike to be a bit more flexible with, uh, with the players? No, I'll keep five. Keep five? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let me see if I wrote down any other questions we're coming in through here. We've almost hit 10 o'clock, so we've almost nailed it. Um... Everything else is pretty much the same. It's either stuff we covered or stuff that you guys aren't going to answer anyway. Um, oh, is that a challenge, chat? Well, like, <laughs> for example, uh, what do you guys think about Chris J and FaZe? Would it be good or bad? Like, what are we even meant to say about yeah, that? That's... I don't know. Like, I, I don't know him personally, like, as an in-game leader. But, you know, he and, and from, like... Playing against Mouse and like watching them play even before and now, like from both of my roles, it doesn't seem like he's the kind of a Carrigan or Glaive or Fallen, right? It do- doesn't seem to me that he's that type of a in-game leader. He's more of a guy who kind of makes do with what he's got and 
people give input and i i would assume that sergey was like playing a big part in helping you know game plan and you know organizing some stuff so i wouldn't think like you know you this team has enough players who can frag you want someone who can like just allow it for them only to frag right you want an in-game leader who doesn't need really help from anyone of course he would get it you know someone like nico is an ideal secondary caller but you need the guy who's gonna like that's gonna be his main strength and that's why you have him on the team of course you know having someone like christian you get a guy who can frag extremely well secondary opera great with pistols and a lot of other qualities but just as a pure in-game leader he wouldn't be a guy to look at right unless you're really kind of desperate and i'm not saying that because he's bad i'm just saying because it's not his natural position right so you're going and guys aren't available then you're like we just need someone no none of our guys can do it and then you reach out to him but you know i'm just talking with no direct experience we have a guy here who can testify to it yeah but honestly if he, like if chris 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 was a captain more of a captain right he had the last uh, word normally our team because we naturally didn't have an in-game leader right uh, we created a different structure and that's called a team mind so we didn't have a, a single guy who was responsible for everything and everyone was able to always give idea but at the same time it wasn't chaotic right if someone had a really good like thoughts on what should happen right now uh, then Chris could agree or not to agree on it. He had like a last word, right? He was calling majority of the time, but uh, every guy in the team was giving uh, the tip of his position. For example, like if Chris gave a call and some guy could tell like that will not work from his position on the map in the middle of the site because that will just not work. They're like countering it automatically, right? And he could propose something better or even adjust this call so it will work on a fly. So that was like our approach because we didn't have a choice, but Chris grow pretty well as well during these two years from zero. Like it's not that easy even from zero to call in a strong team, right? With strong yeah, players. Sure. So I think he made a really good job anyway, and he still have a lot of time and um, a lot of like, parts of the game to progress with if he wants to be an in-game leader in future, but maybe he will search also for a team where he will not need to, you know, I don't know. And I think it's really interesting what you just said, just going to touch on it briefly for for the viewers, you know, I think people maybe have this impression that, you know, the in-game leader, he's the mastermind, he's the puppet master, he's telling everyone what to do and, you know, up to the detail and they just execute what he's saying, like Counter-Strike has evolved past that. For you to be a tier one team, like what Sergey described, that's what needs to happen. Like you need to have players who are on their side of the map recognize, you know, what's going on. If you have a guy who's playing Banana on T-side on Inferno, uh, he needs to say, hey, these guys are saving nades. Like if we don't bait out nades going late, like it's, it's going to be hard uh, uh, to go B, right? So the in-game leader knows, okay, if I want to go B late, it has to be just with a flash. I can't, I can't announce myself coming. They're going to throw down the molotovs and the smokes and so on. So... Everyone needs to be contributing in that sense. And that's where you have some really valuable players who may not light up the scoreboard, but they can be really good in organizing communication. Of course, it's never going to 
keep your place on a team if you can't frag well enough but it, it helps like the team if a guy is giving good information and, and it helps you make the right call all right yeah, i agree Correct. well i feel that that's a pretty good note to end this one thank you very much everybody for tuning in does anybody i'm going to leave this open forum does anybody have anything that they would like to say before we shut this one down I'd just like to say uh, thank you, Chad Sponge Burchill, for giving me this opportunity to make some more money for you. I've been enjoying it <laughs> thoroughly uh, in the past, and uh, I had a little bit of a break from it, so I really missed it to an extent, so I hope you spend it well and not just on Ben & Jerry's ice cream. I'll invite you to my place in Malta, Yanko. You'll be one of the first guests. Don't you worry about it. All right. That's what I want to hear. Thank you, gentlemen, for a great company and um, great topics. Really enjoyed the time with you. All right. Striker, you want to you wanna say anything? Uh, we're available as a podcast. Oh, yes. We are available as a podcast. Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm. All right. Sweet. Let's shut it down. Thank you once again, everybody. We'll see you next time. The next podcast will be on Sunday. I don't know the exact date, but that'll be the full yes. major preview. We'll be checking it all out. Don't want to miss it. Maybe we'll even do extended. Who knows? We'll see you there. Peace.